you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sweet Victory and J-Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show today. I'm asking the question, is persecution the means of evangelism in America? Is persecution, maybe to say it or to ask it better, would be to ask, will persecution be the means um, of evangelism in America? Is that where we're headed yeah. with everything that we see happening with all of the discussions um, that are going on right now? I'm aware that the so-called uh, Respect for Marriage um, Act has gone to the president's desk mm -hmm. where he's already said that, you know, should it make its way to his desk, he is going to sign it. Right. Um, this story, I think, is from The Hill from the Hill, the legislation um, misnamed, I'm saying misnamed, uh, Respect for Marriage Act, um, which 39 Republicans joined all of the Democrats in supporting the measure uh, in the House, in the House. It was, it passed there. We know uh, last week that it passed the Senate, or was it, yeah, last week it passed the Senate, and uh, and now it is headed to the president's desk. Mm. Mm -hmm. where uh, he said that he would, quote, promptly and proudly sign it into law. It's really interesting, right. though, um, because I was reading another article, and I hadn't realized this. And it, it, it's amazing how, you know, a lot of these bills and, and you know, the conversations are so kind of, I guess I would describe them as um, ever unfolding. You know, we had um, Jameson on with us, and we just want to ask the kinds of questions that give us the information that allows us to sit down with the average person and have a conversation about this. Not many of us are myself included. I don't consider myself to be a political pundit. Mm -hmm. um, I am a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or at least I'm, I'm aiming to be maybe, maybe faithful sounds prideful. <laughs> you know, I'm faithful, but I, I that's my aim, you know? Right, and, and right. when we talk about these issues, especially issues that make, make their way to the political arena, I am, I'm, concerned about those issues in as much as so many of them have moral implications and spiritual implications in the life of the believer. Yes. And so when we have these conversations, I'm not looking to equip other pundits. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, it's never my aim to um, help you out politicize the person you're talking to at Walmart. Right. You know, like that's not, I'm not trying to do that. I think there are other people who do that and they love doing that. A lot of them are just conservatives. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, and so they, mm -hmm. they really hang out in those waters. When we have these conversations, I'm trying to equip Christians. Like I'm, I'm trying to add to our apologetic and our defense of the faith. And one of the ways that we have a robust defense of the faith 
is that we recognize the the ways that the faith is under attack in this country. Like yeah. you have to know where the battle is so that when you show up, you know, first of all, you're at the fight and then you have to know how to fight. Like what what are the issues? What are the conversations that are being had around these issues? And you used to say when we were doing urban, you used to say all the time. Um, you encouraged all of the hosts mm-hmm. make the connection, make right. the connection. That right. was something that you said uh, routinely. And and in effect, what you were saying was make this matter to the Christian audience. Exactly. Like if, if we're going to talk about issues, the question needs to always be, why does this matter to the body of Christ? Mm-hmm. Like why is because if not, then people could get their content and their information other places. Well, because we are Christian first. Amen. And so Amen. everything that happens in our world and our culture, you know, in, in this uh, uh, country, we have to funnel it through, you know, the Bible. Like, so I'm more concerned about, okay, we see these issues taking place. We mm-hmm. see this is happening. That is happening. How as a Christian am I supposed to address that or yes. to, to live, live out my faith in, you know, uh, while seeing this going on. Like mm-hmm. we have to, it has to be those practical things where we can look to the scripture and say, okay, well, the Bible says this. So mm-hmm. this is what I do, no matter what everybody else is doing and saying, I'm going to follow what the word of God is saying. And so that's the connection. Like you could talk, we could talk about politics. We could talk about culture. We could talk about marriage, family, whatever it is, you know, but we have to use the the, the, the lens of scripture to see Amen. all of these issues. Amen. And, those connections, I think we have to make those connections in our churches, Yeah, you know, because a lot of times we have these things going on in the culture and, and sometimes our, we don't know how to address them and how to tell people, hey, this is what the word of God says and this is how we should be looking at this issue. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's tragic, though, that that's not um, that's that's not germane to the conversations that we're having. Often it seems that we have to um, dig to be reminded of like our first conviction, right? That our Christian conviction is what we would turn to first. I I think that that's, it's unfortunate that everything else seems to be the easy grab. We're, we're more comfortable dealing with those things. Um, Sometimes, you know, the aim is just to win the argument, you know, and, and we couldn't care any less about winning someone to the Lord. It's just, I want to be right. And how, how, how many, um, you know, stats can I bring in like what can I say that's going to make my point that's really going to knock it out of the park and, right. and, and you know um, I, I think we have a higher aim than that Amen. as believers you Amen. know and and we so should. which means which means we have to be informed like we we have to know what's going on around us I'm not I'm not um, romanticizing the early church and that they just put their head down and were just Christians. No. And in fact, the reason that they were persecuted, the early church, is because they weren't just Christians. Mm -hmm. They were Christians living in the midst of pagans. And so that pagan culture pressed in on them and required them to display what it is to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Like they weren't just like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever you guys want. Yeah, we'll do it. We're, We're just Christians after all. No, they were engaged Christians. They were Christians who were being pressed in on. And because of that pressing, um, the culture that surrounded them um, got to see what it is to be a Christian, Yeah, you know, and it wasn't comfortable for the Christian. It wasn't comfortable for the believer. And in fact, that's a part of what was driving my thinking this morning. I finished up reading um, Urban Lutzer's latest book. You guys will remember a couple of weeks ago we had him on uh, No Reason to Hide. And I think it's really appropriate. He he ends his book. Well, there's an epilogue, but the last official chapter 
of the book is um, asks the question, will we accept the blessing of gospel centered suffering? And I was really glad that he included suffering in sort of the the lament of the moment, like what we desperately need in the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can remember us talking about on the show here how we have lost this theology of suffering. We've we've lost the willingness to suffer for Christ. And and in part, I think the reason we've lost that willingness is because we're just really unacquainted with it. Mm. If we don't read about um, suffering in the history of the church, if we don't read the the real time reports of the suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world, we would have no point of reference for that. We really just don't know. And and that was something that I appreciated that Brother Lutzer actually opened this chapter with, saying that it's kind of strange for him to include a chapter on suffering when he has lived um, in relative ease. You know, the Mm -hmm. occasional pushback on something he might say uh, does not compare to the type of suffering that has historically characterized the church. But I want to share something that that he included in this last chapter and then um, have the program kind of revolve around that, especially in the the midst of the conversations we're having. Um, I'm aware that while libraries are welcoming men dressed up as caricatures of women, they're saying no to to Kirk Cameron. Right. Um, I'm aware of you know drag shows still happening, so-called Christmas drag shows happening where seven-year-old children are in attendance and being having their hair stroked by men mm-hmm. dressing up as caricatures of women. This is this is this is America. This is where we live. You know, I'm 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 aware of the hypersexualization of children and and again now it's become so normal that we don't we don't think about that and at the same time you've got uh Christian organizations being booted out of restaurants because of the desire on the part of that restaurant not to traumatize its employees <laughs> so all of this is happening and mm. and this thickening right or this turning up of the heat provides an incredible opportunity for the Christian. But here's the thing. It's going to be really difficult for us to see this moment as an opportunity if we don't understand that to which we have been called. Mm. I I think, and man, I I wish people could understand um, without me saying, but just in the event that people would not let me just say it, there is nothing in me personally, and I, I think, Many of our listeners would would feel this way. Um, There's going to be very few in number who would feel something different. There's nothing in me personally that is saying, yes, Lord, hasten to me affliction, hasten to me suffering, uh, hasten to me uh, persecution. Like there I I am not that kind of person. You know what I'm saying? Like I know there's some people are just like, yeah, bring it on. I think. Very few of us would describe ourselves in that way that we want to suffer. Now, this is not to be confused with, um, by God's grace, us having the boldness to be able to stand up and tell the truth. That, yes, bring it on. If you ask me, I'm going to tell you. What I'm, what I'm not often seeking after is the suffering that goes along with that. Now, we are willing, and indeed, I think that has to be the posture of the Christian, that we're willing. We're going to tell the truth. We are going to tell the truth mm-hmm. um, as, as Rod Dreher wrote his, the, the book, t- we're not going to live by lies. Right. So we're, we're going to tell the truth. Um, we're willing to suffer for telling that truth. But I think there's very few of us who there are very few of us who would welcome that. Right. You know what I mean? Who right. are just kind of sitting around saying, you know, 
life's just too good for me. I need to feel what it's like to be a Christian, bring on the suffering. I don't think many of us feel that way. But I think what is going to happen increasingly in this country, and and here's what we're going to see. And I wrote this down, and so I'm just going to read some of my notes just to make sure that I I phrase it the way that I I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So the question that I'm asking is, will widespread persecution and suffering bring the type of revival that we have longed for? Now, I think that sounds to some people counterintuitive because you're like, no, but revival is like this, you know, jubilant jubilant, uh, celebration, everybody coming together. And and, and now the church is awakened. Um, I think that as the church is persecuted in America, the church is going to be purified simultaneously. Yeah. So so what you'll see is that because of the increased wickedness in America, um, it's going to weaken the popular church. Mm. It's going to weaken mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the popular church yeah. while simultaneously revealing a smaller yet purified church. Yeah. And and this will be similar. Understand what I'm saying? This will be similar to what our brothers and sisters see in, in like China, where you've got the state sanctioned church that's not the church. It's the it's the church that it's it's um safe to be a part of. Yeah. Right. Because it's that church has gone through cynicization where you've made it for all intents and purposes, a culturally safe Chinese church. You can still call it a church, but, you know, no pictures of the cross and Xi Jinping's picture is there. No, you know, so so that type of church. Look, believe it or not, guys, whether you see it or not. We have a type of that church in America right now. Mm. Okay. It's the church that doesn't pose a threat to darkness. It's the church that never has to worry about knocks on the door, so to speak. It's the, you know, you don't have to worry about the proverbial, um, you know, hey, we're here. We want to have some words with you. That church doesn't upset anybody. There is a type of church that exists like that in America. And, And probably there are more of those churches than we would like to admit. And there are more of those churches than we realize. What I'm suggesting today and the question that I'm asking is as we face these um, these hard drawn lines here where the the true church, where it's not it won't be popular to Mm -hmm. be a part of the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? As we get to this point, my question is. Will that give us an opportunity for evangelism? Mm-hmm. And then will we see that that revival that so many of us have longed for where the true church is awakened and stirred in this country and people um, largely dare not gather with them mm-hmm. because it will cost them something to be affiliated with those Christians. Um, when we get back, I want to take a look at uh, No Reason to Hide here and then kind of let the conversation go from there. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. My God is a big God. He's a great God. He's a big God. Big God. He's a great God. Yeah, he's greater than the rest. Yeah, he's greater than the rest. My God is a big God. He's a great God. He's a big God. Big God. He's a great God. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Is persecution going to be the means of evangelism in America? That's the question that I'm asking today, sparked by um, finishing up No Reason to Hide and just kind of thinking on 
all that was included in that book. That's the latest book um, from Dr. Erwin Lutzer. And it's just, you know, that's it's one of those things. And, and you do this too, right? You read something and then you sit and kind of like just contemplate what you've read. And you have one thought that leads to another thought. And then for me, I couple it with the events of the day. I'm, I'm looking at what's going on around us and, and I'm thinking, you know, Lord, what is it? What is it that we're seeing? And then my question is, how do we equip the body of Christ to discern these moments, like mm-hmm. to, to recognize what's happening and to be encouraged and um, I guess to be kind of uh, shorn up, if, if you will. Um, I, I think that one of the things. Oh, by the way, welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that was Marcus Rogers with Big God. Great God. The, the disconnect of the church, this this feeling of being any type of identity before that of Christian has robbed us of the robust community that Christ died to give us, that he secured for us, like um, being anything else before you are, you're a Christian. Um, so if I identify with my ethnicity first or if I identify with my country of origin first over and above being a Christian, mm-hmm. then I have robbed myself right. of the community of the believer that was instrumental in the um, the proliferation of the gospel. Mm. And, and, and in many ways, when I say the proliferation of the gospel, so if you are being persecuted and you can go to a community of believers and thereby derive strength and encouragement where you recognize that you're not alone, mm-hmm. right? Then you are encouraged to keep going, even yeah. doing that thing that has led to your persecution. If, if you go to other believers and you're just like, okay, so on my job, they're telling me that I have to say this. Mm-hmm. They're telling me that I have to do this. If you're alone, your, your temptation is greater to just do it. Mm-hmm. Your temptation is greater because you are carted off. You're in a corner mm-hmm. and it seems insurmountable. It seems overwhelming. And so then the temptation is so great. Just do it and keep your job. However, if you are among believers, right? And you were talking about this, Will the Great. You were talking about this yesterday. So if you're if you're among believers and knowing where you can go, knowing yeah. where you can go for prayer and knowing yeah. where you can go and openly say and and man, I, you know, we are here, yeah. if not on our way here, yeah. where you're going to have to be able to know the place you can go and openly say, look, I'm afraid. You have to. You have to You have to be able to have that place. And that's why God has set up this thing as a family. It's the family. Yeah. It's the body of Christ. And as I was telling you earlier, and, mm-hmm. and we talked about before, you know, you see in the book of Acts where, man, these uh, great things are happening and the Holy Spirit is Binding the church together. They they are eating meals together. They are praying together. They are breaking bread together. All of that stuff. And you see it happen in uh, chapter two and uh, and again in chapter four. But then uh, you get down to it. Persecution is right on the horizon. They needed to have that powerful fellowship. Yes. To be ready for this persecution that was coming. And it came. And when they were shaken, they went back and prayed and Mm -hmm. they received you know, boldness, they were filled with the spirit and they went right on preaching again. Amen. Right now, today in this country, we're going to have to have that. And I said yesterday, the time is out for going to church where you can just go to church and not know anyone there. 
like yeah. and not have any relationships. Yeah. There's no one in because when the persecution arises, mm-hmm. you're not going to know what to do. You're not going to have a place to go because right. that it hasn't been built. The relationships have not been built within the body of, of Christ. And so, you know, man, it's, it's just a serious thing. We're going to need each other more than ever. You know, at this point at right now, you know, and going forward, we're going to need each other. And so we have to have those type of uh, fellowships. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, I was so I was so encouraged and, and I want to share um, uh, from Urban Lutzer's book. But I, I will just say this. I was so encouraged when um, several years ago I began to delve into church history and mm-hmm. it happened by, you know, I, I, I look back on it now and I would say, OK, so the spirit of God is at work in, in leading his people. Right. And so I would say the Lord led me in that way. But I just picked up the, a book that I'd had for such a long time. Like I, we, we got the book, I want to say, um, because we were going to do a special at AFA with, um, oh, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, mm. how God saved civilization, James Garlow. Yes. And so, cause I, <laughs> I had it for a very long time and he was looking back on the history of the church and it, I had the book. I even had some notes in it for this interview that we were planning. And for some reason, reason, I don't think it happened. But anyway, all these years later, I picked up the book and I thought, oh, well, let me read it. I started reading it. I couldn't put it down. Mm. And then what was stirred in me was footnotes and other, um, you know, history books on on the church. And and then I had another book about, you know, the history of the church and and all of the. And so I started reading this one. of Why am I saying all of that? I'm saying all of that because I don't think. I had an appreciation for how the gospel got to me before mm. I started looking into the history yes. of the church. Yes. I had always in my mind, even though I, I, even though I didn't say it this way in my mind, I envisioned sort of like from the apostles, mm-hmm. this sort of like down to the wire long throw. Yeah. And then, you know, over all of the people, then the gospel, <laughs> you know, to me, like, so, so Jesus, the apostles and Miki, Thank you guys. You know, but when you go back and you look at the history of the church and I am so not a sports person, so I need to be very careful when I try to use sports analogies. <laughs> but when you look at the history of the church, it's more so a series of sort of like plays on the line. <laughs> what do you say? I don't know how you say it. It's yeah, the, yeah. getting the ball to, to this person. First here. Downs. Okay. You know, keep Thank you. Moving the ball down the field. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Thank you for not letting me suffer too long on that. <laughs> so, but, but that's what church history shows you. It shows you that the reason the gospel got to you mm-hmm. is obviously the oversight of the Lord Jesus um, as it pertains to his church, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God, and faithful men. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, mm. faithful men who received that which was once and for all delivered Right. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. I I delivered to you what I what I received once and for all what was received and delivered to the church. Mm -hmm. And and they were willing to risk everything for this truth. So it's like a a series of um, accounts that were passed down and, and the Lord superintending that that has preserved the church. And I look at where we are, you know, in America and I. This is the question that I was asking this morning, and we're going to open the phone lines up in the last segment. And so I'll re-ask the question because I think, I, well, I know some of our listeners will want to chime in on this. But here is my question. My question is, if the American experiment were in existence at, you know, in the early church, mm-hmm. would we have the gospel today? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, th- I saw something that our brother Jerry had uh, 
shared on the social media. And it was a post that said, you know, if America was back in Paul's day, if they, you know, if it was around, we would get a letter. <laughs> you understand? If, if America were yeah. around in Paul's day. We would get a letter. We would get. Oh, the church oh, in America. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The church in America. <laughs> I got I it. Say it. I like got that. it. Yes. If the church in America yes. was around in We would day, be among the Corinthians. We would get and a letter. Be, yeah, that's probably yeah, get a couple. For sure. You know, for sure. First and second America. Okay, I got it. It took me a second to register <laughs> that, but yes, I first and second America. That's funny. We would get a letter because, man, the so things funny. that are, are happening today that's here. That's funny. Yeah. Man, you know, there would be some correction. And, and there should be some correction. We should be living in such a way. You know, not to be tethered to just America in our Christianity, because I think that has caused us to be really relaxed in how too we comfortable, too comfortable. Yes. And, and look, not hating on our country. Of course but what I'm not. saying is when you mi- try to mix the two like this one thing, then you get what we have. And, you know, and you take away even all the, the other parts of Christianity that that was just around the world before America even existed. Yes. You know, when you only look through that lens. Yes. And so that's getting back to my original point. When we embrace and we study the history of the church, we have a new respect for the church worldwide. Yes. Like we see what God was doing to preserve the bride and, and to make it true that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. And that's and that's ultimately the point that I'm making. Because we have been so comfortable in our country, we don't understand what it means to persevere um, at the risk of losing our life. Like, we right. are just now sort of showing up. You know what I mean? It's like the person who, you know, and, and I'm not saying that our brothers and sisters in other countries would try to outdo us, but, I mean, there would be an interesting conversation for us to talk about what we are like, we're just now kind of showing up at the party here of what was normative for the church. But here's the reason I asked the question about, you know, if the American experiment existed, because what you see when you go back and you study church history, what you see is that the immense persecution that caused a purification of the church is what, what led to the great expansion of the gospel. Right. It's it's how the gospel proliferated because it wasn't just a collection of like Christian socialites. You know what I mean? Like those who were able to be the great, well-loved Christian bloggers of their, their day and whatever that would have looked like for them. It didn't exist because in order to, to claim to be a Christian was to make some overt statements about what you weren't going to do in culture at (laughs) that time. (laughs) Right? Like to say that you were a Christian you were overtly saying, and I'm not going to um, bow before Caesar. Right. Right. I'm, I'm not going to pinch the incense. I'm not going <laughs> to pinch incense. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so I think today we find ourselves in America getting to a place where when you say you are a Christian, now I think it's going to take a while for even those who are like the Christian socialites of our time. It's going to take a while for them to drop that title or that label Christian, they will just use that label with disclaimers, right? Like, but not that, not what you've known. You know what I mean? They will try Mm -hmm. to remake it. But I think where we head, where we're going is to a time where eventually what will happen is that those who say they are Christians will genuinely be the converted of Christ. They will genuinely be the ones for whom it is true that they have forsaken everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the reason I say that is because we are headed to a time, if not 
partially there. And I want to be measured, but we're definitely headed to a time where what you will see just point blank, not even in a soft way, it will just be a liability to be a Christian in America. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've got a business uh, in Virginia that, you know, cancels a reservation on a group because it's a pro-family, pro-life organization and they're coming there and and most of their employees are homosexuals or they're pro-choice. And then what happens is when people catch wind of this, they start like, they go to Yelp. I was reading an article. Um, they go to Yelp on this on this uh, this restaurant, and I, I forget the name. I don't have the story in front of me, but um, to 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 like downrate it. Like, why would you cancel their reservation? So now you're saying that Christians, just by way of being Christians, they are not welcome, right? And of course, the business wow. has the right to to decide if 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 this business wants to serve these people or not. But here's what I found really interesting is that there were a bunch of people who once this story became a story, they took to Yelp to rate down this business. Well, Yelp, the company Yelp actually closed all of the comments so that the business would not be rated down any further. Wow. So when I right. So <laughs> so in other words, what Yelp is saying is, no, 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 no. We're on the side of the restaurant. Right. I don't care if you guys don't like it. I don't care if the public doesn't like it. You're not going to be able to say anything about that. Now, I know that that's small and, and, and people, you know, they're like, well, you know, come on, it's a restaurant. OK, right. But think about the implication of right. that. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not only will you be mistreated. Right. For your sincerely held religious beliefs. Not right. only will you be, be mistreated, but you have no recourse. Hmm. Not even in the court of public opinion. You have no recourse. You can't go and say, I can't believe I was treated this way. I'm never going to eat here again. No, you have organizations like Yelp saying, we don't care if you're never going to eat there again. And you're not going to dissuade other people. You're you're not going to tell other people that they can't eat there. So this is where we find ourselves. But who's going to be... Who's going to be the the Christian who perseveres in this? It's going to be the Christian who truly has been converted, right? Mm. (laughs) And and I know some people Mm. have a problem. They're like, well, stop saying Christian if they're not real Christian. But these people need to hear this because they call themselves Christians, but they're not, Mm. right? And can I say this? It is God's mercy. And listen to me very carefully so that you understand exactly what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. It is God's mercy that the United States of America would go through a great shaking so that those who have been deluded and who think that they are Christians, but they are not would be exposed. Why is that mercy? It's mercy. So they don't perish. It's mercy. So they don't live this quiet, comfortable, um, you know, just social setting that has been a, a large portion of the church while at the same time, they're living this comfortable social setting or in this comfortable social setting, but, but they are the enemies of God, yeah. right? It's, it's merciful for God that the church would go through this purification, that the church would be grown down. Mm. Listen, grown down. It is, it is merciful that God would allow for this. Why? Because there are so many in our country that to be a Christian is just cultural for them. I just, well, you know, my mom and my dad, my, my grandmama, and, and we just go to church and we just, we go out to eat and it's just kind of what we do. And so it is God's mercy. It is his great love. Now it's hard for us, right? It, it's hard for the genuinely converted 
Why? Because that means great suffering for us as the church grows down in America. It's, it's not going to be easy for us, but I will tell you this. I will tell you this. The faithful will suffer in the meantime, but the fake will suffer for eternity. Mm, yeah. That's, that's and right. just think about that. Wow. The faithful will suffer in the meantime, but the fake will suffer for eternity. So I can I can bear it. I can it's just but a moment, right? All right, Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll take the break and we'll be right back. Our listeners, if they wanted to go and look up the story that I'm talking about um, over in Virginia, it's the Family Foundation that had um, a reservation, I want to say, for at least a week, uh, if not if not two weeks, at this restaurant. I think it's, how do you pronounce this, the Metzger, Metzger Bar and Butchery in Richmond, and then 90 minutes before they were um, to have that dinner reservation, the meeting, um, the restaurant canceled their reservation. Wow. As if, you know, just within the last like hour and a half, they discovered, oh, it's a Christian organization or it's an organization with strong family values and, and pro-life values. <laughs> wow. uh, no, it's definitely designed, I think, I think, of course, just I'm observing it uh, to make a statement. Right. So anyway, welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Uh, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that was Tremble by Mosaic MSC. I'm going to open the phone lines and then I want to turn to um, a portion of No Reason to Hide, Erwin mm-hmm. Lutzer's latest book, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. The question, the topic today is persecution going to be the means of evangelism in America. And this is sparked by me um, finishing up the last chapter of um, Dr. Lutzer's book and just thinking about where we are and uh, what we see happening around us and, and what the Lord by his his mercy um, displayed is doing in America for for the church yeah. <laughs> for the church. So anyway, I'll read a little bit here and then we'll go to the phone lines. 888-589, excuse me, 8840, 888-589-8840. This is from the chapter, Will We Accept the Blessing of Gospel-Centered Suffering? It happens to be the last chapter. Uh, secularism, Lutzer writes, is never neutral. As it gains momentum, it will attempt to silence the voices of those who speak against it. Let me just, okay. Secularism is never neutral. Mm -hmm. As it gains momentum, it will attempt to silence the voices of those who speak against it. Yes. We had better rediscover lessons the church learned throughout the 2000 years of its history that a suffering church is almost always a powerful church and a compromising church is like salt that has lost its savor. If we have no conflict with the world, we are not true to the gospel. I'm going to repeat that. If we have no conflict with the world, we are not true to the gospel. As has been said, we do not suffer for what we profess. We only suffer for what we believe. Hmm. Now, why, why is that so important to understand? Because there are a lot of people who will say things. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. But saying one thing today and being able to say something tomorrow or say something different tomorrow is not going to get you in trouble. What's going to get you in trouble is the thing that you say that is is spurred on by what you believe because tomorrow you're going to believe that same thing. You're going to be unwilling to move from that position, right? Let me continue. Many Christians in America believe that if the church were all it should be, we wouldn't be under any form of discrimination or persecution. We would sail without contrary winds. This, however, is not consistent with either the Bible or history. The church has always been opposed by the world. For us as Americans, the growing anti-Christian bias is new. For most of the world, the heavy hand of government and religious persecution has been the norm. Just ask the Christians in China, North Korea, or throughout the Middle East, or in any other country close to the gospel. Most, if not all, the people in those countries would be extremely grateful if they had the opportunities, freedoms, and privileges we enjoy. And the Christians in those countries understand too well the high price that must be paid for fidelity to Jesus as Lord. The high price that must be paid Mm. for fidelity to Jesus as Lord. I'm going to wrap this up and then we'll go to the phone lines. Yes, Lutzer writes, secular culture is closing in on us, but this is not a time for us to run and hide. The early church teaches us how to have a faithful gospel witness in the context of persecution and a hostile culture. Surprisingly, Christianity grew rapidly in the early centuries, even though its converts knew they would be persecuted for their faith. The prospect of persecution repelled some, but it did not deter others. And this is where um, the discussion kind of grabs its title for today. Lutzer writes, persecution was not a barrier to evangelism, but the means of evangelism. And that's the question that I'm asking today. You know, is persecution going to be the means of evangelism in America? Is that what we um, are headed toward? Even as we work through all of the the rights and the privileges that we have of living in this country, we will stand up and tell the truth about morality, what is right and what is wrong. Um, But even as we do that and we seem to take heavy losses as we are still trying to be faithful, I think the question is, so will persecution as indeed we are headed strongly in that direction will persecution be the means of evangelism in america could persecution be that thing which portends a great revival um a a stirring or a growing down of the lord's church in the united states of america and with that question we'll go to the phone lines 888-589-8840 will the great where are we headed all right let's go to uh, zachary in virginia hi zachary hey guys what's going on hello can you hear me? Yes, go yes, ahead. Go. Sure. Okay, great. Yeah, hey, I think that, um, so I've worked in campus ministry the past four years at Virginia Tech with a, with a ministry called Chi Alpha that's around yeah. the country. And, and so, when, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, you think about, <laughs> when you think about persecution in the United States and where it might be the strongest right now, um, starting off, what starts on the campus, right, spreads to the culture. Like, we, mm. we know this. We see this mm. in other things as well, too. And so one of the things that I take a lot of encouragement in um, I transitioned. I actually work for for a nonprofit now. But hearing reports on campus, um, last year we had seventy some students come to the Lord. They had fifty students come to the Lord just in that ministry in the first week on campus. Mm. Wow. That wasn't from uh, massive large groups. That wasn't from anything. That was from students having individual conversations in their <laughs> dorm rooms yes. mm-hmm. um, around campus, 
And yes. so I think that when I, I heard a pastor a few years ago talk about, we suffer, I mean, obviously we talk about obesity in America. Mm-hmm. And so he related it to like, we suffer from a spiritual obesity. Like mm-hmm. we're so knowledgeable yes. in so much. And now I think it's time that believers are actually having to teach. They're actually having to have those conversations in the workplace. They're actually having to have moments where they feel, you know, maybe there's a some sort of um, equity or something initiative at their workplace that maybe mm-hmm. they have an issue partaking in. They're actually having to speak up in those mm-hmm. moments. Um, and I think that that's really good because what it's yeah. going to lead to is, yeah, like you said, we, we won't be able to define success by our church attendance on Sunday morning. Anymore. That's right. That's, that's, that's right. It. But are we actually raising up disciples mm. and in our weekly gatherings, sharing those testimony stories of, okay, maybe we have 30 people here and we had a hundred last year, but let me tell you how God moved in my workplace this week. Yes. Let me tell yes. you the conversation I got into at the gas station. Let me tell you, and just that, that early church excitement of, man, I can just envision early, <laughs> early people in the church, like, Hey, I was spit on this week for the gospel. Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, right, exactly. and right. celebrating that, you know, and, yeah. and of course we don't want to be mistreated or different things, but we live under an illusion in, mm-hmm. in the United States. Like as a, as a, you know, let's even say as a Caucasian man, I'm I'm 27. You know, I have I have suffered very little for the name mm-hmm. of Jesus in the United mm-hmm. States, admittedly. Mm-hmm. And on different missions trips and things that I've been on globally, which is why I also encourage any believer to go on a mission trip because it will open your eyes to the reality <laughs> of what the church has to go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, even as a young adult who's unmarried, you know, another example, it's so easy for us to be like, oh, where's my spouse? Blah, blah. And <laughs> I went to a country um, in, in the Middle East, and, you know, I'll keep it unnamed because we're on the radio, but I met a young woman in a town who she was the only believer in her city. Wow. So I need to sit here and say, where's my wife, where I have plenty of Christian options in America. <laughs> right. And wow. she's saying, where's my husband? And she's the only believer in the city. Wow. <laughs> so wow. It's kind of like, Man. it's comical for us to think that, uh, that we've undergone a level of persecution. And so in the same way, the other problem, I know I've thrown out a lot of ideas, but the other problem I'd say is this is why it's so critical that we keep a missions focus and a mindset. Mm-hmm. and. And I'm amazed at how many believers we have in America and yet how, how few we send out. Yeah. Um, we, we are really losing. Praise Jesus that God is so much bigger than us. Like South Korea is now the number two sending country uh, for missions. We see the global growth of the church on continental Africa and how Africa is now sending out. They're not just receiving missionaries. They're sending missionaries. And so mm-hmm. one thing I think that we're also going to see in the next 20, 30 years is just this movement of, America is going to become a receiving country, I think, Mm. for world missions. Personal perspective, you know, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but we are going to be receiving a lot more of these on-fire men and women of God from the continental Africa, from from different Asian countries that that we've poured into over the Mm -hmm. centuries, and now we're kind of the ones, (laughs) they're the ones carrying and leading and, and, you know, I don't know, doing the fire of God for today, but but I think you're totally spot on. Um, and I think that what we've seen on campus, though, take heart, and anybody that's listening to this, take heart in the fact that um, in some of the you know most secular campuses in America is where some of the most fire and that remnant of believers um, really is getting raised up. Man, um, Zachary, thank you so much for all of your comments. Wow. I, I cannot tell you how much of a blessing it is to, to hear your comments. I will just jokingly say to you, because I, I know that I understand the point that you were making, but I just tell you, as a black woman who is 43 with six kids, I've suffered um, little to no persecution for the name of Christ. 
just to tell you. Like, it's, it has nothing to do with any of our ethnicity or anything like that. It's like, we just, we live in a very comfortable country, all of us, we all do. of us. And so, I mean, but I think the points that you raise here are stellar points yes. and they're worth pondering. And, and I think to get back to the place where, um, just to grab your illustration here, where we can come home from market and be like, guess what? So somebody did, like, they smacked me because I said Jesus' name. Mm. That's going to take a lot of training for a lot of people because people will be like, and I smacked them back in Jesus' name. <laughs> I'm no, just no, kidding. The okay. apostles, they were like, you know, happy that they were being flogged. You know, they, that was, That's they, right. They saw that as an honor. To being be. counted worthy to suffer yeah, yeah. for Jesus, for the name of Jesus Christ. All right, Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Jill in Missouri. Hi, Jill. Hello. I want to say that uh, chapters 25 and 26 in the book of Jeremiah, the, the Lord says he will send a sword throughout the earth for not keeping his law. You were speaking earlier about the early church. The early church did keep his law, and this is why they were persecuted for it, especially during the time of the Spanish Inquisition. When the Romans came to ancient Spain, they told the practicing early Christians, if you continue to keep the seventh-day Sabbath, the Feast of the Lord, and the dietary rules and circumcision of your baby boys. We will kill you. So, yes, this is true. And Christians, for the last almost 2,000 years, have been in rebellion to one of the primary of the Ten Commandments, where God says, six days shall you labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day you shall keep holy, set apart unto me. It is my Sabbath day. And we need to stop eating pork and all the things against the dietary rules. So this is part of God's law. And traditional Christianity needs to come out of these ways that really the Catholic Church has led them into doing. We Mm. need to start practicing God's law. Hey, Jill, I appreciate your call here. And and I was thinking as you were talking, I was trying to remember from my church history background, Mm -hmm. um, the church being persecuted because of the keeping of the law. I don't recall the the example that you just used there. I would just caution um, every believer to understand that we are not saved by the keeping of the law. And with all due respect to my sister, right now we've got an explosion of black Hebrew Israelites who have made their way into the black context, into the inner cities and inviting people to deception and delusion. And a part of that is returning to keeping the law. And I think this conversation has already been had in scripture. Um, I think if you look at the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, Mm -hmm. I think if you read the entirety of the book of Galatians, you will see that the apostle Paul is saying that the law is fulfilled in Christ and that we are not saved by the keeping of the law. Now, now here's what I am not saying. What I am not saying is that now you can murder people with impunity. Now you no, but what what I am saying is that the Jewish law, the uh, ceremonial law and the civil laws and those things, we we are not bound by those things. We are absolutely bound by God's moral law. Okay, the, these things present themselves to be self evident in a in a any country around the world. Okay, being bound by God's moral law, we know that it is wrong to kill babies. Mm. We know this. Mm. There there is an internal register that we have that it is wrong to kill babies. Now, in any country around the world, having a conviction about eating shrimp probably not so much. 
Probably not so much. You see my difference here? And so I would just say to my sister, listen, I have no problems with people who restrict their diets. I have no problems with people who, you know, they 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 carry out certain rituals because they just feel like it's healthier for them or it's better for them. But I would be very careful because Christ secured for us access to God. I'd be very careful that we return to the law as any source of security or salvation. And, and, and I'm not, I don't think that's what my sister was saying, but I got to tell you, I'm on heightened alert here as I yeah. see the expansion of the black Hebrew Israelites and, and the returning to the law and all of these things. This is just another one of those moments where so vehemently was this opposed that the apostle Paul said, look, I oppose the pillar. Okay, one of the pillars of the church, Peter, I opposed him to his face because he was to be opposed. So anyway, I just would say we have to be careful on that. We're out of time, unfortunately, uh, but we'll be back tomorrow. Lord willing. Until then. God bless.